Bible. We are continuing our study in 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 2 this week. And we have to remind ourselves last week's study because chapter 2 picks right off with Paul's criticism there in Corinth that they're heaping up for themselves teachers. They started dividing themselves. Some saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm only of Jesus. And we looked at the culture and the context there in Corinth. We looked at how it was kind of like the Las Vegas and New York of that area at that time combined. We looked at their style. We looked at the things they were wrestling with. And then we realized that there's nothing new under the sun. These are the same things that we're dealing with today. Last week, we pointed out what we're going to continue to point out through all of the book of 1 Corinthians, and that is that we live in a real world with real problems, and that goes with the church as well. The church has problems, because as long as there's people in here, there's always going to be problems, but we have a real God and a real word from God to navigate those things, and as the Holy Spirit continues to work in us and change us and mold us, we continue to get the words from Him to get through those things through those problems. Paul reminded us last week that we are established in all knowledge, that God's given us everything we need to go through these things. And so today we're going to tie that together as we continue in chapter 2. Let's, let's go before the, the Lord in prayer. Lord, we say there's a real God for real problems, Lord, and I, I look around, I look at myself, Lord, and I know there's a lot of work to be done. And I pray that you would have your way in us, that you would speak to us, that you'd make yourself known to those that don't know you here and that you would reinvigorate and re-encourage and continue to do that work that you're so faithful to complete in all of us. This morning we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read the first five verses of chapter 2 together, the book of 1 Corinthians. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Remember, last week we talked about how The cross of Christ was foolishness to the world, to the the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But Paul said, I preach Christ crucified, nothing else, nothing else. Now, when you think of a good pastor, what do you think of? What does he look like? What does she look like? You know, what, what image do you put in your mind? And what does the Bible say? I know as a a teacher myself, I am constantly putting myself and my own mind under pressure to be a quote-unquote real pastor. Now, it's not as bad now as when you're first church planting, when you first start off, and people are judging you based on how you teach, how you look, how old you are, what your appearance is, how you speak, are you eloquent, are are you well-versed in the Bible, do you know what you're doing? As you get a little older and you get a little more salty, as the Marines say, you really stop caring so much because people are going to be upset and they're going to criticize you or they're going to to compare you to people that aren't even real. They only exist in their mind. But then something else begins to creep in. And if, if we look today 
at teachers and preachers, we see that there's nothing new under the sun. What was Paul dealing with? There are many Bible scholars that think that Paul had um, back problems, eye problems, that he was sick, that he was bow-legged. There's, there's other um, extra-biblical writings about descriptions of him. We don't really know how true they are. They are inferred in the Scripture, so it seems likely. Here he says, in much trembling, in much weakness, that he wasn't very persuasive. Who is Paul comparing himself to? In the church, Apollos was known for being a very eloquent and persuasive teacher. He was very charismatic, and he was very popular. He's known as the encourager. In our day, we think of guys like, I don't know, maybe this guy here. This is not me. Now, I don't even know if this guy's teaching the Bible, and I'm not criticizing him. Okay, I'm criticizing his style a little bit. But I'm not saying whoever this guy is. is a random photo off of the Internet. I'm not saying this guy has good or bad doctrine, but, man, he fits the, the T. He's got a perfectly manicured beard, just in style. Look at the man's shoes. What are those, Jordans or something? Very contemporary stage, altar, church He's got a very contemporary pulpit. Probably doesn't even call it a pulpit. That's, that's too old-fashioned. Again, I, I'm not comparing him. I'm just making a point to all of us. Who are we comparing ourselves to? You see, what Paul was dealing with in Corinth is what we're dealing with today. Paul was being compared to the most eloquent rhetorical speakers or uh, speakers of rhetoric at that time. Not rhetorical, rhetoric. He was being compared to professional speech writers, to actors, to athletes on the biathlon games. He was being compared to uh, professional politicians, oratory, to the universities of that day, to the philosophers of that day. And here he is, this broke-back, crooked, bow-legged pastor, this Jew from not even in their culture, coming and teaching them that their whole world is wrong and that there's one way of salvation through a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth and that he was died and rose again for their sins. To the Jews, it was crazy, a stumbling block, not possible. To the Greeks, it was just absolute foolishness. But the foolishness of God is better than the wisdom of man. Remember that from last week? The foolishness of God is better than all the wisdom of man. Why? Because it's true. In, in chapter 1, he wrote, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And so, as I asked you, what do you think a real pastor look like? We shouldn't be thinking of what they look like. We shouldn't be thinking of what character they should have in terms of how charismatic they are, how eloquent they are, how popular they are, how well-spoken they are. No, we should be checking them out for what does it say here? Do they teach first and foremost in verse 2, Jesus Christ and Him crucified? If you have a pastor, no matter how stylish, and they're not even teaching the gospel of salvation, that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus that he said that through him alone, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. If you can't even explain the gospel, if you have to search in a church to find the gospel, you're a false prophet. 
No, and then what else did he say there in verse 3? He said, in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. He said in verse 4, not with persuasive words, not with great preaching, not with human wisdom. And this is the most important portion of the sermon. I like to just get it right out of the way, right in the beginning. It says at the end of verse 4, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. We are looking for the power of God. The power of God is found in the Word of God. When we think of the power of God, you may even be thinking of other false churches that say, you know, you got to be rolling around on the carpet, hanging from a chandelier, that there has to be miracles, that you have to all be healthy and wealthy. None of those things. Paul was none of those things. He wasn't healthy. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't a good speaker. So what did the man have? He had a calling from God. He had the Holy Spirit in him, and he had the Word of God. When we were comparing ourselves to that charismatic young pastor with impeccable style. I have none of those things, but quite frankly, nor do I want any of them. In your mind, did you think of somebody like this? I mean, look at this guy. He's barely sitting there. He has air. He has oxygen on. I mean, who is this guy? This is Pastor Chuck Smith. Three days before he passed away, four days before he passed away, he is dying of lung cancer. He had already had a stroke several years before. And his last Sunday, he is preaching the gospel. He was preaching from Romans chapter 4 about not being weak in the faith. You know, today when we start thinking and comparing ourselves to the world and we start talking about who a pastor is and who a pastor is not, ordaining women that uh, they don't even teach the gospel, They want to be more popular. They want to be known for their podcasts or their books or their popularity. It is far more important to be known for teaching the gospel, for sharing the work that is happening in you with others. Here, Pastor Chuck is 86 years old. He had been teaching the Bible since the early 1960s, week after week after week. Again, verse 5 the wisdom, not the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. It wasn't in the strength of Pastor Chuck, the strength of Pastor Paul. It wasn't in how they spoke or how they looked or what they did. It was in the power of God. God using the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Guilty. Foolish. Remember, Paul had just said in verses 23 and 24 of the chapter before, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Who cares about church? Not not the family of God, not the ecclesia, not the body of Christ. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about religious clubs, religious institutions. Who cares? Some of y'all are old enough to remember the Crystal Cathedral. Man, that place was beautiful. I remember my atheistic Catholic grandparents who I love to the grave. I mean, they are so important in my life. My grandma would put that on on Sunday mornings, and we'd watch that guy in his robes, and he he got that slick back white hair. He's got that perfect, deep, slow voice, preaching nothing, nothing. Not talking about salvation or sin or the power of God. 
But boy, did it feel spiritual. We felt really spiritual as we then probably began mocking God at the breakfast table. Nobody, I, I think the Catholic Church took over that building. How many temples do we see to um, all kinds of things? Just destroyed. The wisdom of man, the sets of actors and movie theaters. Think of popular actors. One day we're interviewing them with political advice or life advice or how to be popular and charismatic. The next day they have some scandal in the news and we're all mocking them and we're all laughing at them. And then they have their restoration story because VH1's got to have some kind of content. So how they came back into being popular, and then now they're being brought back. Same thing with politicians, you know, very popular politicians of certain eras. Put it up there. Man, look at this guy. We'll look at uh, professors. Look at this guy or gal. Look at this philosopher. Look at this way of life. Look at this businessman. Look at this person. Nothing. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity, Solomon, the wisest and richest man that ever lived, said. Because it's about the power of God. It doesn't matter how successful you are at anything. Without God, it comes to nothing. The grave is full of very successful people. The grave is also full of a lot of failures, a lot of sinners, a lot of broken people, a lot of unfulfilled dreams. But when you close your eyes for the last moment, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you look at him in, the, in your eye to eye with Jesus Christ, the creator of the world. What will he say? Man, your bank account. Good job. Enter into the... F- no. You were so popular. Come on in. Man, you had a lot of vacations. You really enjoyed yourself. Come on in. No. No. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now, I'm not smart enough to make that up, y'all. So other people smarter than me said that. The word of God checks me as a pastor that when I begin to compare myself to these guys, when I begin to compare myself to these teachers, when I begin to compare myself to other people, the word of God shows me that it only matters what God is doing and what God is deciding to do in me. There are many people out there that we have never, ever heard of and never will that are close to the Lord and the kingdom. Their their gifts are just innumerous because of their faithful lives to God. And nobody knew who they were, but the only person that knew, knew. There are a great many people that we may know that are super popular, very influential. Maybe we thought they were strong Christian leaders. And we will find out in the kingdom they didn't even know the Lord. Remember, Jesus would say to some who did miracles in his name, depart from me, I never knew you. Interesting. No, then I am checked and I say to myself, do I declare that I'm of Calvary Chapel, that I'm of Chuck Smith or that I'm of Mark Galvin? Do I declare that I am of this person or that person, this denomination or that denomination, this church or this church? Or do I declare I am a Christian saved by Jesus Christ, watch him work in me. Can we say what Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ? Interesting. Now, Paul's not done yet. He's going to continue now in verses 6 through 9. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. 
Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Verse 8, for which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I, that, those words just jump out to me, who are coming to nothing, who are coming to nothing. The wisest people of that time, very close to, at least compared to us, Alexander the Great, living in contemporary times where some of the greatest leaders of Rome had lived or just previously passed away, living in those times contemporary to ancient Greek philosophers. And yet Paul, teaching at some home church in Corinth, can declare it is all coming to nothing. Now we know 2,000 years later it literally did come to nothing. Where is Rome today? Of course, there's a a city in Italy, the capital, Rome, where you can go there and you can see the ruins of this ancient civilization. You can see uh, many historical artifacts. You can see the catacombs. You can see the aqueducts, a lot of Roman roads, things that have existed for 2,000 years, showing us the greatness of that civilization. Our roads can't last five years. And they got Roman roads that lasted for 2,000 years. How far we have how far we have fallen. <laughs> now, if you were even there in Corinth, remember, if you were here for our introduction, there was the ancient city of Corinth, and then there was the new city of Corinth. That city was brand new, built by the Romans. But they could look out over the hills to this area here, and they could look at this temple, this temple that had to have that had at one time hundreds of worshipers, and yet Paul could point to that hilltop just that we're looking at here and say it came to nothing nothing there's a fear that all of us have i hope we all have this fear and that is living a life for no reason all of us fear that our life is of no importance we fear that when we pass away we'll be forgotten and because of that we push hard to different things, living your best life or having the most vacations or the most money or the most popular or trying to keep your family together or trying to be the happiest or trying to be the best business person or trying to fill in the blank, best artist, best golfer, whatever it is. And here we are told by Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that all the wisdom of men is coming to nothing. But remember what it said in verse 5. He said he didn't come with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the power of God. So we only live eternally. We only live forever in paradise with God, through God, and by God. The emphasis here in this entire section is separating the wisdom of men and the wisdom of God. It is emphasized 100% of what God is doing in every one of us and what he has done with his son on the cross. And now, if you're a non-believer here, you're like, this is the biggest bunch of nonsense I've ever heard. You're trying to tell me that all of life 
is completely centered on one human from 2,000 years ago, 100% guilty. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, descended on this earth, became a man. If you know him, you know God himself. He declared it. How can I say these things? Because he died, and three days later, he came back to life. Last week I said it. I'll say it again this week. Pretty big deal. Over 500 people saw it, and then person after person after person separated and isolated went to their grave having violent, painful deaths saying that's what happened, confirming it, radically changing the trajectory of that modern world and all of civilization. The evidence is in the dirt. It's in the manuscript evidence. It's in the scientific evidence and the historical evidence. All the evidence is there pointing to God and his work. And I can say then, as Paul said, I preach Christ crucified. And I say that because then I can look you in the eye and say, your life matters to God. Your soul is eternal. You will live forever in one of two places. Eternal torment from everlasting to everlasting, it says, uh, direct translation, or eternal bliss in paradise in Jesus Christ. Your life matters. Every painful moment, every moment you are afraid or happy or filled with joy, every single thought you've ever had, God knows it. The Bible says in Proverbs, he knows you so much that he's counted every hair on your head. He said to the prophet Isaiah that in the womb, he knew him and formed him. And in the same way, he, he knows all, every single one of us. Your heartache, your pains, the trials of this life, resisting the enemy, all of it has a purpose. And I can say that because he told us in Romans chapter 8 that all things work together for the good for those that love Jesus, for those that love him. I can say on Scripture's testimony, not on human wisdom, that a life lived without Christ is wasted. Those are pretty powerful and bold words. I don't say that in the wisdom of man. I don't say that in my own wisdom, my own intellect. I definitely don't in my own style. I mean, look at me. I'm just an upgraded lumberjack. But I can say that on the testimony of our Lord. No, I can't speak wisdom of the world or the wisdom of this age. Quite frankly, I would say that Paul had much better earthly wisdom at that time. I mean, we can't even decide what a man or a woman is anymore. And and that's what we're going to go and get the wisdom from them? No, thank you. Let's read now verses 10 through 12. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the thing of man of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now, it's kind of hard to connect these two because it's not really written in English that we would at least in our new King James Version, that we kind of connect. In the previous verses, he was saying there's a deep mystery, the things that can't be known, things that can't be learned, right? He said, he was quoting Isaiah, 
there in verse 9, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So it's kind of like, oh, man, you can't get it. But now in verses 10 through 12, he's saying, but God has revealed them. So the connection is we can't find it out on our own. We can't figure this out on our own. We can't learn it on our own. But God came to us through Jesus Christ. He came and revealed to us. He is the light of the world. The issue is that, but man loved darkness rather than light. That's the problem. We prefer to sin. We prefer to rebel from God. We prefer to not follow Jesus. But then he comes to us and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. Oh, Mike, you're sounding like a Calvinist. All believers are predestined by God. He knows every single believer that ever uh, was, is, and will be predestined foreknown by the foreknowledge of God. So how do I reconcile free will and the predestination of God? God chooses those that choose him and has already chosen those that will choose him. What? What? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The the mystery, the deep things of God are God's. He has given us, and I trust him in his word that says we have a free will. When he says in in the book of Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve. I believe the Bible is literal and says you can choose. You can choose this day who you will serve. But God already knows those that are going to choose him. He already knows. What I want to focus on here is not the predestination. It's not even the choice. I want to focus on the good stuff, the deep stuff. I don't know about you. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I, when I was a kid, it was a big deal for my family if we went out to eat. And if we went to the buffet there in Oregon called King's Table, that was like as good as you could get. That was like put on your Sunday best. We're going to town. And there we are, my brother and I, my grandma, my grandpa, and they would always say, you have to have salad first. Yeah, whatever. Bacon bits and ranch dressing. I'll show you salad. Okay, now you have to eat your you have to eat some greens. You know, they, they make you go all the way through. But then you're finally done and you've been saving it, and then you're looking at each other, you're looking at who's gonna be the first person. Can we go to the dessert bar? <laughs> They're looking at the plate, you know, pretending, investigating. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Sprinting. <laughs> My brother could make an ice cream thing, like you know, the soft serve. I mean, two feet high. And he'd eat, he's that kid, he'd eat like three licks of it. I'm done. Well, good thing Big Brother's around. I'll take that. (laughs) Do you know that there's a dessert bar with our walk with the Lord? In your relationship with the Lord. What, What does it say here? That God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. What is that, and what do I have to do to get some? The deep things of God. What? That sounds cool. See, when I grew up, again, in this atheistic, militant, religious nonsense, Jesus was just a person that kind of loved everybody no matter what, and he liked to get tips. That was it. That was the depth of God. But to, to fully experience God and to have a longing for God, to want to read his word, to want to know him, to hear him, to understand him, to listen to grow into the Word and to realize, wow, this isn't just a book of history and it's just not a book of weird written English. 
but we can grow in the deep things of God. Now, first and foremost, I want you to know you don't earn it. God gives it to him. Verse 11, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. And then it continues, even so no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. If you want to know the things of God, you got to talk to God. You got to speak to God. Well, how do I do that? Does he have to audibly speak to me? No, he's giving us his word, the full counsels of God, the 66 books of the Bible. To me, I mean, obviously, I'm conforming to his wisdom, not the other way around. But can you think of anything more brilliant? Any one of you with multiple kids ever worry about spending too much time with one of your kids and not the other because now you're, not, you're showing a little bit of too much favoritism? You know, in my house, speaking of my brother, he got more attention than I did. I was a little upset about this because my brother was always in trouble. All the time he was in trouble. And I got a little jealous. It's like, come on, I'm doing all the right choices here. I'm doing the right stuff. That's a lie, by the way, making all the right choices. That's a fib. My mom's watching. She's laughing. The Lord gives us all the exact same amount of attention. He reveals the exact same word to every single one of us. And we can dig into it as much as we want. Seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall receive. He holds nothing back. How did Paul start the book of 1 Corinthians? You are all given the fullness of knowledge. Peter would say, everything that pertains to a life of godliness, you've been given it. Will you walk in it? Will you search the deep things of God? Will you go after it? Will you try it out? Now, I'm going to go a little bit deeper, just a little bit more nitty-gritty here. We have been taught in 21st American culture, 21st century American culture, that real men are not spiritual. We have been taught that real men are not spiritual and that to go after the things of God, that's woman's work. We've been taught that that's for sissies and that a real man's man needs nobody, does nothing, can't, doesn't need any kind of counseling or help. or Nothing could be further from the truth. And I'm just going to use one out of hundreds of examples in the Bible. David, King David, a man after God's own heart, is a man slayer. I double-dog dare you to check on how he got his first wife. How did David get his first wife? I'm going to tell you, it's not through fasting and prayer. I mean, he, in a, in, a, in a good way, defending his tribe, his nation, he is a bloodthirsty killer. And we're not talking about pressing bombs and cruise missiles far away. We're talking that little dagger. He goes out there, and he goes out and he takes on the world establishes a kingdom. He has mighty men. He hides in caves. He fights Philistines. Then he joins the Philistines, but he's not really on the side of the Philistines. And then he goes back into Israel, chased by his own guys. He builds a guerrilla army, takes over with God's help. And we're talking about a man who danced before the, tab- before the Ark of the Covenant. You, we need to just get rid of the wisdom of this world. It's foolishness. It's passing away. Real men follow after God. Real women follow after God. They search the deep things of God, and it makes you into walk into the fullness of who you really are. Instead, the enemy wants us to distract us with what shoes a pastor's wearing or how fancy the church looks or how good the beard is groomed or how relevant they are to the world. Nothing could be further from the truth. The church today is becoming so relevant in some areas it's become irrelevant. 
What did Paul say in Galatians chapter 6? But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me or I to the world. Forget the world. I'm not to be of the world. I'm in it representing Christ. But if we're going to glory in anything here in this church, if I as a man and the leader of my household are going to glory in anything, it's going to be in the cross of Christ. Not in anything else. If you're coming to be inspired by fancy preaching here, you are in the wrong place. If you're coming so that you can brag to your friends that you go to the cool church, wrong place. If you're coming here because you think that I have any kind of style, I, my style is at a level just high enough not to stumble a person. If I could come up here in sweatpants and flip-flops and not stumble people, I would. But we don't want to show here reverence to the Lord. No, none of those things. And if you think I'm being t- I've taken that too far, let's look at John the Baptist. The man wore camel's hair and had grasshopper legs sticking out of his teeth. But what did, what did Jesus say about him? This is the greatest prophet that ever lived. Why? Because of the message. It is the message that has power. It is the message that saves souls. It is the message that raises people from the dead. It is the God of creation that heals people. It is the God of creation that allows us to put our head on our pillow and sleep a perfect peace, the peace of God, that helps us through trials and tribulations, that walks through us through the valley of the shadow of death. It is a real God for real problems that make us successful people, fulfilled people. That when we go to the grave, we don't care what the world thinks of us because we're entering into a new world and we will live for eternity with him. Now, if your pastor is getting in the way, I love what Warren Wiersbe, he he shared a story in his commentary about when he went to a church, he either went to the church or he heard the story of the church about sitting in a, a church where there was a fancy glass behind him with the image of Jesus. And the normal pastor was tall and, you know, he's big, but they had a guest speaker who was short. And so one of the little girls in the pew said, where's the pastor that doesn't let us see Jesus? Because the short one was not in the way. If that message don't preach, you're not called. (laughs) If you're person that you go to that's giving you spiritual advice, so-called, or to the world, if they are standing in the way of you and Jesus, you are in the wrong place. Paul is constantly pushing back to the cross, back to Jesus. Don't allow yourself to be segregated by different churches or different names, whatever it may be. Because in 1 Timothy, when Paul is sharing with his young pastor, he's mentoring him. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. There's one mediator. If your only experience with God is listening to me teach on Sunday, then I am a failure as a pastor. If your only experience with God is to come here, crack open your Bible, crack open your checkbook, I am a failure of a pastor. But if you leave here 
with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Begin to seek him on your own. And those pastors, leaders, and elders that are here begin to encourage you and bring you to the throne and bring you to the cross, then we are doing all things well. Because Jesus does the work. Remember what Paul said in chapter 1. It was I crucified for you. And remember my words from last week. I'm not going to die for any of you. For Christ, maybe. My kids, definitely. You guys, no way. Pray for you, serve you, work for you, intercede for you, of course. But Jesus will. Jesus will. But how does he do it? It's nice to hear all these things, but how is he going to do it in us? It says in verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that I have been freely given to us by God. Change that word we in your own mind, would you? That I might know the things that I have been freely given by God. You own that. God has given you his wisdom. He has given you his spirit. He is doing this work in you. He wants to use you. He wants a relationship with you. And he is the one that does the work. The Bible says he is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in you. Now let's close out this chapter, verses 13 through 16. These things we also speak, not in words that which man's wisdom teaches, but with which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, the Corinthian church has spiritual gifts. They're they're abusing them. We're going to see them chapter after chapter. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit is in each one of us, whether we're, quote, spiritually dead or not. We're made alive in Christ, if you can confess his name and believe in in your heart. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, how the Holy Spirit manifests himself to all of us. But we we need to know that it's through the Spirit of God that we can even seek after God. It's through the Spirit of God that we even desire God and that it is foolishness to the world. This is so important for us if we have a right teaching for God because in our minds we get tricked into thinking that however popular Jesus is is how true he is. Think about that for a second. We, we fool ourselves to think that however popular Christianity is, is how true God... No. No, I've used this analogy before. I'll use it a thousand times. Jesus is not Santa Claus. And if you're watching those Christmas movies about, oh, if we just all believe, then Santa Claus's sleigh will begin to fly. No. There could be zero believers on the entire planet, and the King of Kings will still be on the throne and he will still rule all of creation. There could be not a single believer in all the planet. It's happened before, down to seven with Noah. Because his popularity is irrelevant to his power and his presence. And we have to be careful about that. Because our American mindset says everything's run by the polls. Whatever the polls say, that's whatever's true. Absolutely not. And if I might make a political statement... It is our separation from the foundations of truth that has put us in the position we're in today in our culture. 
Don't allow that to be so in your own family and in your own heart. Don't think that we can do this on our own. The Holy Spirit is working in us. And that's what Paul would tell the Corinthians back, or in the future, in 2 Corinthians 3. Now that we are sufficient, to, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, <clears throat> I want to do a little Bible study here. You're like, what do you mean? We've been in a Bible study the whole time. I know, a little, little mini Bible study. Because I would be remiss if I don't share how Paul is living this out in his own life. Being obedient to the Word of God. And so speaking of Mr. Warren Wiersbe, I stole this straight out of his commentary. A little small on the big screen. It's Matthew 28 and Acts 18. Matthew 28 is the Lord giving his commandments. Go ye therefore in all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, and lo, I am with you always. The comparison is in Acts chapter 18 when Paul plants the church in Corinth. He came to Corinth. Many heard and believed and were baptized. For a year and six months, he talked them in the word, and he says, for I am with thee. All of that in Acts chapter 18. So as Paul's growing in his walk with the Lord, he's just being obedient to Jesus and his commandments. Why, why do I bring that up? Because Paul is living what he's teaching. And we should be living what we're learning. Paul is living what he's teaching, and we should be living what we're learning. Yeah, don't, don't come here and just nod your head, oh, yeah, amen, mm-hmm, amen, uh-huh, and then not actually go home and read your Bible, and then not actually go pray, and not be baptized, and not be a disciple of God, and not search the deep things of God. Oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. Can I buy that? Is that like on Amazon? No, the deep things of God are not on Amazon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spare you some more. You don't have to go to the Christian bookstore and buy 17 books on it either. I know I did it. It doesn't work. But that's what I did when I first got saved. Where, where do you find it? On your knees. The Spirit will show you those things in the Word. You don't need it. You need Jesus. Ask. Seek. And then when you have a real experience with the Lord, the deep things of God, when you are beginning to grow and realize that He's doing it in you, you're not even making it happen, then you can say what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Yes, it's foolishness to the world. Of course it is. That's what the book says. But I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because I've experienced the power of God to salvation in my life. When you're truly saved, when God's really working it, you can't help but share it, even if they think you're dumb. Especially when they think you're dumb, which just proving them right is all. But the Lord uses the foolish names of this world to confound the wise. You're just fitting the formula. You're fitting the formula. Let's rest in Him this week. Let's not be distracted about the things of religious clubs. Let's not be distracted by what the world wants us to be distracted. Let's get on our knees. Let's have a desire to seek after God. And if you don't have it, ask Him. He'll give you that desire. I'll close with what the Lord tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. We can't even make our own faith. But if you ask him, he'll give it to you. And you can experience the things that we're talking about here if you haven't experienced them. 
And if you've experienced him in the past and it's been a while, he's still ready. He's still there because God never changes. You changed. He didn't change. But you can go right back to him. Let's pray for that this morning, shall we? Lord, fill us afresh with your spirit. Lord, give us a burning desire to know the deep things of you, to experience and to understand the power, your power, in the simple testimony of the cross. Help us, Lord, to be used as a light into the world, to base our lives on the firm foundation of truth, Lord, to turn away from the world's wisdom and go to the tried and true wisdom that comes from your word. Help us to experience you on our own level, right where you would have us. And I thank you, Lord, that all your promises are yes and amen and that you're going to complete this work. I pray for those that are sick and and hurting, and we pray for healing on them. We pray for those that are going to be baptized this afternoon, Lord, that their lives would be a testimony for you. We pray for those that don't know you this morning, that they would come and accept you in their hearts and be filled with the Holy Spirit and entered into the family. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, share with you, and give you a few gifts. God bless you and have a wonderful week.